We continue in chapter 23 in Kings 2, and the bulk of the chapter is how King Yoshiao cleanses Judea from idol worship, and not just Judea, but Samaria as well. We saw him in Oleshior in Samaria, purifying the land as much as humanly possible. And we left off in verse 20, where it said, and he slaughtered all the priests of the high places on the altars, and he burnt human bones upon them, and he returned to Jerusalem. Vayeshav Yerushalayim. So he returns to Jerusalem, and now it's time for Kiruv. That is, it's time for outreach. He's gotten rid of the harmful weeds. Now it's time to plant. You remove evil, then you start doing the positive stuff. And so after removing all that evil and those weeds, he's going to now start planting Yiddishkeit into the hearts of the nation. And let's see how he does that in verse 21. And the king commanded all the people, and he said, Perform a Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God, as written in this scroll of the covenant. So it's time for a Korban Pesach here. He wants all the tribes here in attendance come to the temple and partake in the Paschal Lamb sacrifice, and he wants to use that as a vehicle to unify and strengthen the nation with faith. Now, what's so special about a Pesach sacrifice? Why not have a huge Simchat Beit Shoavah on Sukkot? Let everybody come on Sukkot, you know? That's a nice, happy holiday. Well, Pesach is one of those holidays that just gets to the very foundation of Judaism. We saw King Chizkiah also organize a huge Pesach in Chronicles, because that's the time that we became a nation, it's the origin of Am Yisrael. And we pass that tradition down about the exodus from Egypt and the miracles which can become the basis to our faith. We pass that down from father to son. And because it's such an important holiday and so basic to Am Yisrael, King Yoshiao wants all of Am Yisrael to show up at the temple and celebrate Passover. The Malvim is another reason why King Yoshiao would want to choose Pesach and not another holiday, and it's directly related to the situation that King Yoshiao was dealing with. And he says that King Yoshiao's campaign to burn out all of the idolatry, that's what King Yoshiao was doing up to now. Well, the Passover sacrifice, that's the anecdote to idol worship. How is the Passover sacrifice an anecdote? Or what's the connection between Passover and idolatry? Well, it goes back to the original Passover sacrifice back in Egypt, which was written about in the book of Exodus, Right before we left Egypt in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, it says like this, Then Moshe summoned all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go out and draw out and take some sheep for your families and slaughter the Pesach. That's the command to perform the Pesach sacrifice. The first time in Egypt. Now the sages glean off the words vayimashchu. It doesn't say just take an animal or a sheep. It says draw one, mishchu. What do you mean draw or pull? Limshoch means to pull actually in Hebrew. So they say on that verse, the sages teach us, what is Moshe saying? Mishchu yedechem Pull your hand away from idolatry. That is, the Jews were steeped in idol worship back in Egypt. They were influenced by the Egyptians. And we know they were on the 49th level of Tumah in Egypt. And they worshipped the Taleh, 
the lamb or the ram. It was the zodiac worship. They worshiped the mazal taleh. So the korban pesach of the lamb was like the tikkun for that. You know, we know the Egyptians worshiped the taleh, the lamb, and apparently the Jews adapted this. So according to the Malbim, that's one of the reasons Yoshia was organizing this huge Passover sacrifice on a national scale. It's part of his comprehensive purification, anti-idolatry campaign here, that the Korban Pesach is kind of like a replacement for their worshiping of the Lamb. Now you're doing it, L'Shem Shemayim, you're doing it for Hashem and not for pagan purposes. Okay, so how did this huge Passover holiday work out? Well, it says in verse 22, such a Passover sacrifice had never been performed since the days of the judges who had judged Israel and all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judea. So it was a huge success. It says here in this verse, everybody showed up and we never had such a Passover from the days of the judges. And the days of the kings of Judea and Israel. So how do you figure that? What about the days of Solomon? You're going to tell me that this Passover sacrifice that King Yoshua organizes surpassed even the days of Solomon. And we also saw King Chizkiyahu in Chronicles, a whole chapter, how he organizes this grand Passover. And you're telling us that this Passover organized by King Yoshua was even bigger than that? Well, if you think about it, Let's talk about the days of the judges. The verse says it was greater than the days of the judges. Well, before the temple, in the days of the judges and after that, all we had was a tabernacle. Let's say the tabernacle in Shiloh, which stood for a long time. Well, there was no massive aliyah there. There was no pilgrim of the Shiloh in a big way. And there might not have been even a, a halachic obligation to make an aliyah, Laregel, to Shiloh. Now, after the destruction of the tabernacle in Shiloh, there was no en masse aliyah to Nov or Givon, which were the locations of the tabernacle after Shiloh. Now the verse says, though, it was even greater than the days of the kings of Israel and Judea. Now how could that be? Because when the temple was built in the days of Solomon, there still wasn't a mass aliyah or pilgrimage to the temple during the holidays. Why? Because the people had gotten very accustomed to the bamot, those private altars, because the private altars were permitted prior to the building of the temple. So the people were still sacrificing on these altars. It's true the Bamot were at that point forbidden, but we know that the people grew accustomed to them and the kings did not remove them, not even Solomon removed them. And the people preferred, many of them, staying home and having a barbecue on these altars instead of schlepping to the temple. And so not only didn't Solomon remove the altars, there wasn't a king of Yehuda who removed them for the next couple hundred years until Chizkiyahu came along. So that's why, even in the glory days of Solomon in the temple, we really didn't have a massive pilgrimage to the temple. And yeah, Yoshiao's Passover sacrifice here is bigger than all of them. Now, after Solomon ruled, when his son Rehavam took over, we had a split in the kingdom. So that was the end of that. Because the first king of the ten tribes, we know, Yerovah ben Avat, he blocks the way to the Jerusalem, prevents the nation from making a pilgrimage to the temple, and these blockades, as we said many times before, they remain throughout. So yeah, there were no major pilgrimages from the Ten Tribes ever. They were busy going to Betel and Dan to Yerovam's calves. Now, what about King Chizkiyahu's huge Pesach? We know that King Chizkiyahu 
organized a en masse aliyah to the temple during his time. That's all written up in the book of Chronicles chapter 30. So let's see what happens in that episode. I'm reading from the text in Chronicles chapter 30. We see that King Chizkiah, he's going to give a pep talk to the 10 tribes to get try to get them on board for this Korban Pesach. And he says, if you return to the Lord, then your fellow Israelites, all your fellow tribesmen and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land. So that is Chizkiah's telling him, if you do the right thing and come to this Korban Pesach, which is observing the Torah commandment, the Assyrians will bring you back to your land. Hashem will reward you for God is gracious and compassionate. He won't turn his face from you if you return to him. Well, what was the reaction? Let's see the next verse. And the couriers, that is the couriers of Chizkiah, bringing this message to them, they went from city to city, to the lands of Ephraim and Manasseh. And what was the reaction of Ephraim and Manasseh? They would they would ridicule them and mock them. So the Jews of the 10 tribes there are not cooperating with the initiative of Chizkiah. And not only are not cooperating and not indifferent, they're making fun of the Chizkiah's couriers. This kind of thing would probably happen today if you try to get people to go to the temple and offer Korban Pesach. So we see from this story in Chronicles about Chizkiah's Pesach, it just didn't get the traction that King Yoshiaus did. And that's why our verse says here that there had never been such a Passover ever as it was in the days of King Yoshiaus. Verse 23, Except in the 18th year, of King Yoshiaus, that this Passover sacrifice was performed to the Lord in Jerusalem. So what's this verse doing here? It's actually a continuation of the previous verse. The previous verse said, there was never such a Pesach ever. Then it says, except in the 18th year of King Yoshiaus. So what does that mean? Well, actually, it's a subtle way of saying that this Passover holiday success we had, which took place in the 18th year of King Yoshiaus, that was an exception. That is a Passover like this only happened once. And it happened during King Yoshiao's 18th year. Now the 18th year of King Yoshiao, that's the year when he was 26 years old. We opened the chapter with that. That's when he did the Bedek Abayit. It was in the 18th year that he found the Sefer Torah, or that is Kohen Chilkiao found that Sefer Torah. So all this happened in his 18th year, and he organized this massive Passover in the 18th year. But what the verse is saying, kind of subtly, is that the Passover that we see here, the big holiday, the big Enmas Aliyah to the temple, it was a one-time thing. It did not repeat itself. It's not like it happened every year. It happened just once. So now this is a, an important verse in understanding a question you've probably been asking all along. And what question is that? Why wasn't the decree of the Chorban canceled? That is, we know it wasn't. We know there was a Babylonian exile and there was the destruction of the first temple. But why? What more could King Yoshiao do here? Anyway, this verse is one of the keys to answering that question. We'll get to it later. We'll need a whole shiur to address that question. Again, why weren't the efforts of King Yoshiao enough to thwart the Chorban Bayit? But as we said, we're going to have to get to that in depth later on. Verse 24, and in this verse, we're going to see how King Yoshiao got rid of all the black magic and witchcraft out of Judea. It says, Vagamet Ha'ovot. So the Avot are those witches do seances and stuff like that at night. He got rid of those. And the Yidunim, Yidunim are those who use, who use uh, divination with this kind of a bone, right? all this kind of stuff that's on the dark side. And the Trafim, Trafim are also images that would be used through sorcery to predict things. We saw Lavan had Trafim. 
and it's not clear what the form of these trafim were, were in the form of a man, what would they look like? It's kind of a machloket among the commentators. Veta gilulim. Gilulim is the Hebrew word for idols, and which interesting, it's the same root as galalim, and galalim is the word for excrement or feces. So idols and feces have the same root, gilulim, galalim, and that's Lashon Kodesh, where the same root is used for the most disgusting thing, and also for idols to teach us what Hashem thinks of idols. And what else did he get rid of? A kol ashikutzim, and all those abominations, Hashem ubaretz, that were in the land, in the land of Judea, and in Jerusalem, Be'er Yoshiao. Yoshiao got rid of it. In order to fulfill the words of the Torah. Which are written in that Torah scroll that Chilkiyahu, the priest, found in the house of the Lord. So we see a special verse dedicated to all this witchcraft and sorcery that Yoshiao abolished. And it's given its own verse probably because this is something that's done in secret, you know, clandestine way. All the other paganism we saw were something in public, temples that were out there. But all these seances and divinations, they're done kind of secretly and therefore it gets its own verse. You got to really seek it out in order to get rid of it. And we have a similar verse back in the days of Saul. He also got rid of the witches and it said about Saul, the Shaul hesirata ovot vayidonim, same thing, he got rid of the Ovot and the Yudonim, Me'aretz, from the land. And that's, of course, as it says here, it's written in the Torah. To do so, to fulfill the words of the Torah, because it says clearly in the Torah, in uh, Leviticus, Machshefa, lo you shall not la- allow a witch to, to live, lo and don't practice all this divination and predictions and superstitions, ki Hashem kol because it's an abomination, anybody who does all this. Verse 25, and here we'll see a very special verse, one that praises Yoshiao tremendously. It says, There was no one before him, nobody like him. A king who returned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and all his possessions. To do according to the Torah of Moses, and after him, no one arose like him. So there's a lot written about this verse amongst the commentators because we're comparing Yoshiao to all the other kings, and we're saying that he comes out on top, which isn't something that's not borne out by the verses. I mean, you see in these verses here, he's almost flawless. You don't see a verse that isn't somehow complementary towards him, and that's pretty rare. Because even in the greatest of kings, you'll see something or some verse where either sinned or you'll see some flaw. What stands out though about King Yoshiao is that it says there was nobody like him, that he returned to the Lord, from the word tshuva. And the Malbim expounds upon this greatly. And he says that when you see the word shavel Hashem, he returned to the Lord. It's not that he sinned and repented. Usually when you see the word hushav, he did tshuva. He repented. No, that's not the intention here. What it, what it means is that he did tshuva from the point of view that he returned to Hashem after his grandfather, Manasseh, and his father, Amon, was so evil, and he did a complete turnaround. That's his greatness. That's his tshuva, that he flipped it all and became such a tzaddik after two generations of complete evil. And then the Malbim compares what it says about King Yoshiao to what it says about King Chizkiyahu. Because King Chizkiyahu, you get a kind of similar 
verse, back in chapter 18, we had huge praise for King Chizkiyahu. In chapter 18, verse 5, it said, Ba'ashem Elokei Yisrael batach Chizkiyahu, that Chizkiyahu trusted in Hashem, and there was nobody like him before or after amongst the kings of Judea. So that's almost the same kind of verse. What's the difference? Who was greater? Chizkiyahu or Yoshiyahu? Well, the Malbim explains that each one is endowed with his own special midah, with his own unique characteristic. Chizkiyahu, as the verse testifies to, had the midah of bitachon, batach ba'ashem. And we saw that bitachon in his confrontation against Assyria, huge test. Yoshiyahu's specialty in our verse is tshuva, who shavah Hashem. So he's like a great bal tshuva in that respect. It's a different situation. King Yoshiyahu doesn't have a threat of Assyria on his back. He has a situation where Assyria is weakened and he's nationally able to do what he wants, but he had something else on his plate. He had to cleanse Judea. So when you compare kings, you can't really do it. It's like comparing two great prize fighters. You know, one, which one was better? This one might have been a great knockout puncher, and this one was a great and skilled boxer. It's like apples and oranges. You can't compare it. Different eras, different tests for each one, different situations. Now you'd think after that tremendous praise of King Yoshiao that he would have been able to prevent the Chorban Bayit, the destruction of the temple. But no, verse 26 says, Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn back from his great wrath, that was kindled against Judea. Why? Because of all the provocations that Menashe had provoked him. So it's like a done deal. After what happened with Menashe a couple generations ago, Hashem isn't going to take it back. And we have to ask why not? Why was there a Babylonian exile? and the destruction of the temple, if Yoshiao was doing so great here. Where did it go wrong? We know that Hashem is usually very merciful and will annul a decree if Am Yisrael does proper tshuva. What happened? We'll start to answer that question in our next shiur when we learn about the tragic circumstances of Yoshiao's death.